The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, it's a special episode of the Cinematography Podcast. Today, we have an interview with the team behind The Truffle Hunters, currently in theaters, and they just won an award at the uh, American Society of Cinematographers 2021 Awards for documentary category. And so congratulations to Michael Dweck and Gregory Kershaw for uh, putting together a beautiful, beautiful movie that if you haven't seen, uh, you could totally go see perhaps in a very empty movie theater right now or probably soon coming to streaming courtesy of Sony Picture Classics. And without further ado, here's my interview with the team behind the Truffle Hunters from Sundance 2020 that you might have heard in a compilation episode, but here it is again, worthy of listening, worthy of seeing. Enjoy. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Michael Gregory from The Truffle Hunters, thank you so much for being on the Cinematography Podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, so gentlemen, amazing documentary. I mean, re- really, really wonderful to watch and beautiful, beautiful images. People talk a lot about young man sports, like, you know, oh man, that's a young man sport. Clearly, the artisanal Alba White Truffle Hunters, uh, this is not a young man sport. This is an old man sport. And you... Give us a little window into this world that is typically uh, completely unknown, heretofore unknown, which is an, a remarkable accomplishment. Can you talk about a little bit how this came to be, how this all came together? Well, it just the project kind of came to us uh, in August 2017. We were both happened to be in the Piedmont region of Italy separately on little family vacations just to get away from our last film, which we was edited uh, in uh, Copenhagen. And they were in this tiny little village, maybe of 60 families. And we started to hear stories about these old men in the woods at night, these truffle hunters that no one's ever seen. And, um, you know, the more we you know, snooped around, the more we found that this, was a, this could be a possible great story. Because, uh, you know, at one point we were in a, we were in a bar and you know, on the wall was all these handwritten in pencil accounting ledgers. It went from 1941 and it said, like, it said truffle, how big it was, and then it said how much the price was, and then it went all the way to current. And we asked the bar owner, so what is this? He said, well, I want a truffle. I put 50 euros in that little box outside, and when I come in the morning, there's a truffle in the box. And we said, where does it come from? He said, so that, you know, then the two of us went back and spent uh, weeks there trying to dig into this place and see if we can find these, the, the elusive truffle hunters. And, uh, but it took, you know, it took us about a year to find out who these people really were. Everything about this world is secret. Where they sell the truffles, it all takes place in black markets, three o'clock in the morning. Besides the church? <laughs> Besides the church. I mean, it, it, these, the, the whole, the whole, where you find the truffles is secret. People, people have these elaborate maps. The truffle hunters have these elaborate maps of, of where they find truffles every year. And they keep the exact location, the exact date, the, where the moon was at that particular point. Humidity, yeah. And they guard these things. I mean, they're, they're prized possessions. They won't even, they won't share it with their best friend and they won't share it with their children. It's, it's, um, deepest secrets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that, is that we, we realized when we met the truffle hunters, we asked them, um, why is it you that can find these things and nobody else? And each one had their own hypothesis. One said, well, I go three days after lightning strikes. 
Oh, wow. Another one said, well, we consult with water diviners. And we spent quite a bit of time water diviners because they said the truffle gives off an energy that other, other funguses don't. And it worked. I mean, believe it or not, it worked. Wow. There was also, we heard about, you know, witches and warlocks in the woods, too. And at some point, we went, tried to chase a witch for like two weeks to find out who she was, remember? Because they said they, they consult with the witch and find out but, what the conditions are that are right for hunting truffles. I mean, the interesting thing we learned from the water diviners is that, they, so there's, according to the, our water diviner friends, there's two types of energy that kind of flow through the world. And there's this kind of positive energy, which is the water that they f- normally find. And then there's this other current of energy, this sort of negative current. And um, tr- that's where you find truffles. And that's where um, that pigs are attracted to it. And so, you know, it, it, there's this, this whole world of kind of darkness and night that truffles are associated with. And that was kind of another element of the story that kind of that made it so attractive to us this element of mystery, this magic that, 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 um, that only certain people had the knowledge to uncover. And also, I want to add one thing, also the charts that they're carrying, that Greg was referring to, they don't leave them out of their sight. They go to the market with those charts, they go to the bar with the charts, they read the newspaper charts, they go home, they, do not leave, they help carry folders under their arms and not leave them alone. Please uh, inform our listeners about how much one of these truffles might, might fetch at, at, uh, at auction or well, just then, in, the, in the private, in the private well, black market. At the auction that's in the film, that truffle sold for $100,000 for one truffle. So, so really, you have people who uh, their entire career, their livelihood is uh, sneaking out in the middle of the night mm-hmm. uh, and rooting around through the dirt mm-hmm. uh, to find potentially the $100,000 truffle mm-hmm. and, uh, and sell it. And, uh, well, you think, but it doesn't mean that the truffle hunter is actually the person getting $100,000. You see no. in the film, we have truffle dealers who are the middlemen. and uh, They're the ones who get the 100000 Yeah, and they control the market. And the market shifts. We don't know how it shifts or who controls it. There's like three people. Everybody in the film controls the market of a truffle. It changes like every hour. It's how, much, how many truffles they found in the morning and what the demand was like in the afternoon. It's one of the most beautiful documentaries I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of documentaries, and it is stunningly beautiful. And I know you used a lot of natural light. Natural light was your friend. And I have to imagine that setting up any sort of lights with these people in secret was a complete non-starter. You had to be fly on the wall. You had to build their trust. And you had to set something up that probably seemed as inobtrusive as possible to, be, to do what you wanted to do. What did you use to capture the, the capture these images that, that met all these criteria? That I, I know some of it you, you strapped up, you know, uh, an action cam onto yeah. a dog's head, which mm-hmm. let me tell you is so much fun. It's mm-hmm. so much fun to, but for the for the primary portion of the, of the movie, what what sort of camera setup and lens setup were you using? I mean, the the secret uh, starts off with spending a ton of time with the people we're filming, and on most days we would film you know a single shot. That's after spending a lot of time shooting nothing with, with the people who were filming, and it, we spent a lot of time to figure out exactly where we wanted to put the camera in a way that would capture whoever we wanted to capture and allow them to sort of forget about the camera and also capture all these beautiful material elements of their lives that we were filming, whether it be in the forest or their home. They're figuring out a way to, to bring the audi- create a frame that would bring the audience into this moment the way, that, the way that we experienced it and give them the same feeling that we felt. And it, all, it did require, there was actually probably more, I would say there's probably more lighting and more work to, to, done to shape the light um, than it might appear at oh, first. Light shaping, and, I'm sure. But, yeah, I, but yeah. I didn't think you were sh- setting up uh, 
10 Ks or most of what we do is blocking lights. We had a lot of floppy. We had a van, a little blue. Well, there's a big blue van that the two of us, I'm driving and he's co-piling and it's just us. And we have 16 giant floppies in the back. We have all of our, you know, all of our lights back there, like a ton of C stands. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we spent a lot of time just blocking light. A lot of time our sound guy was carrying C stands for us too. But we also, that's another reason why the film is deep focus. You know, we chose that because so you could observe and slow down. And that was a, that's what, that's what they wanted us to do without saying anything. Mm-hmm. They would make us sit and wait. Yeah. You have wonderful wide shots too yeah. of, of, of people tromping through, mm-hmm. uh, through the brush and mm-hmm. through, uh, these incredible scenics. Some mm-hmm. of them like, you know, uh, mist in the air early morning type of stuff is, is what it looks like and uh we wait for that i mean that know. took you know we i mean like yeah, greg was saying a lot of days to. we just sat and yeah. didn't shoot yeah. we'd sit in the van and wait we were up we'd get up at probably five thirty in the morning and, and be back at like two o'clock in the morning and, and just waiting for waiting for shots we spent you know we spent hours driving through this area we spent hours in conversation about you know in that time we were talking about the story and how we could best capture it and we we also you know we spent hours just looking for the the right when we were shooting exteriors looking for the right place to film sometimes that meant walking through the woods and looking through the forest but a lot of a lot of the shots sometimes we would just we would be driving through the countryside looking for a place that that felt like a storybook Mm -hmm. and and we'd find it and then we would have to wait for the light to be right and then we would come back to that place. And sometimes yeah. the light wasn't right. We'd still have to come back. So you would, we never shot in sunlight. Oh, we never we, shot in sunlight. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, there's not a lot of sunlight in this movie. No, so, no. But, but uh, there is sunlight that you see, or daylight, I should say. Daylight more daylight. likely coming in through windows in particular. You see, you see mm-hmm. a lot of that. So when you found these locations and you found the right time and the, the situation was perfect, was there then a shuttling of cast of, of your of your subjects, or did it also happen to be the exact places they had to tromp through in order to get to where they were going? We always, we always went to where you know, where the characters lived. We went to their communities, and you didn't have to stage any. They of don't. The, well, they no. don't like to leave their village. Oh, I mean, okay. even if they were. It's just as an example, if somebody was had lived in a village five miles outside of Alba, which is considered a town, um, most of them had never been there. They just go. They they're self sufficient. They have their farmers. They just go to the market once a week in the street markets, and they just get meat mostly. Um, and that, that was also our calling card with our truffle hunters, and because it was very hard first to get establish, you know, re- real relationships with them. But then we realized we live above a butcher. We're going to bring, you know, twenty pounds of sausage, and salamis and wine, and that kind of helped kind of break the ice. They knew, they knew we were the food guys. <laughs> they, I mean, they they live, they grow a lot of their food. And they're used to a very specific diet. So, like one day we went to we went to a, a normal supermarket and got cut ch- chicken, the kind of chicken that, well, that yeah. most of us eat on a daily basis. Take, take for granted. And yeah. they they said that they wouldn't eat they, it. They wouldn't eat it. And they they will only they call it uh, well the translation is I guess chicken chicken from the land. And mm-hmm. It's only chickens that are actually grazed outside, and they're it's a totally different kind they're, of they're meat. Yellow. And they're yellow, yeah. and they're you know they 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 just don't have that. Kind of crazy, unnatural plumpness that most of the chicken that we eat, but they won't—they won't touch—they won't touch food that comes from a normal, uh, you know, what we consider a normal supermarket. I can't really but, blame them, actually. No, though I mean, no, it's the like they, they certainly know something. So. Yeah, but the chicken is, you know, the head, the feet, the whole everything. It's the whole and they, they eat every single part of it. They put it all in a pot and cook it. It's, all right, so uh, deep focus techniques. You uh, have we're working with natural light and shaping light with flags. Yeah. And we were sometimes we were lighting though. There are some scenes where we would we we had sky panels. Everything is, if we did light, I don't think there's a single scene that we lit with 
more than one light. No, never. But we traveled with two sky panels and a and a Kinofo. That's it. And what what size of camera was this? Was, was it a small? It was an camera? Ari. No, it was an Ari. It's an Alexa Mini. Alexa Mini. Okay, yeah. cool. And then, and Kept it pretty stripped yeah. stripped down with ingenue zooms. Well, or? it's not stripped down. You have to put all the sound uh, inputs yeah. into a thing. It's really yes, of course. Ah, uh, you're recording single tower. system sound into the camera. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we had yeah, and they were recording external also. But yeah. yeah, and then we had a yeah we had an ingenue uh, 16 to 40 millimeter zoom lens that was kind of like always on the camera and we occasionally had uh, a the big, big zoom. 25 to 250 for the longer zoom I was shots. I was wondering about that. I knew yeah. you, we I knew cliff. you, I mean, you we had a, a really great looking movie too, uh, too but I, I also figured like you, <laughs> you, you had to be incredibly versatile. And then of course, uh, and I knew you mixed formats when I saw the dog, but I didn't know if you yeah. were like, hey, we're using this sort of like smaller camera for this, we're using this bigger camera for this. Yeah, when, okay. yeah, cam- yeah it was always that. And then yeah. we, you know, with the, the doggy cams, we took us two months to develop that harness. I mean, we, we had welders working with uh, you know back harnesses with uh, with gimbals that didn't make people made him sick. Yes, you of course. So it's so it's a gimbalized. Yeah, we tried. Oh, no, we tried, tried because yeah. the Sony. We thought the Sony picture was actually a better picture for us, but it didn't yeah. have an internal stabilizer. So we ended up going to the GoPro. Oh, okay. And that, uh, there, that has stabilizer. The, there was a Sony that had it, but uh, yeah. we're, I don't want to get in, in the weeds here. But yeah. I will tell you that the moment of when the dog shakes his head back and forth. <laughs> It's great. Oh, it's, it's so wonderful. I mean, not to mention everything that sequence leading up to it is great. And, you know, we haven't really talked about in this interview at all the dogs. Um, yes. the, the dogs end up becoming a central character in, in, in the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the big, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to give away uh, too much of a plot device here, but there's some uh, controversy with the dogs, mm-hmm. at least yeah. some of the people that are trying to protect their, their turf. Mm-hmm. And so they, they take countermeasures. They are aggressively attacking yes. via, via the use of poison, mm-hmm. these dogs. Yeah. So talk about sort of uh, this other character in, in the movie, these dogs. And uh, I'll tell you, it brings a lot of heart to the story. There, there, were, there were people in the audience I know hanging on every single, yeah. every single dog moment in there. So yeah. tell, tell me about that. But, I mean, I, when we started making the film, I, I, we knew that the dogs were important to what the truffle hunters do but the more time we spent with the people that we were filming with we realized that they weren't just working companions they had these really profoundly deep relationships with their dogs and they shared meals with them I mean they spend more time with their dogs than they spend with any other human being on earth by far they're out alone in the middle of the woods for sometimes for 12 hours alone with their dogs mm-hmm. so they, they've developed these bonds and in a lot of cases they even they what we discovered as we were filming as we were listening to the microphones that we would put on the dogs that when they went into the woods we discovered that the truffles hunters they have a, they have a secret language with the dogs they all have at first we thought they were speaking dialect and then we, we, we talked to our translator and said no this is, these are these words don't mean anything in Italian they don't mean anything in Piedmontese dialect they have their own language that they speak with dogs so through that we realized well okay they're, they're characters in the story and we, we realized how important they were when their names came up on the screen today and everybody just stood up and started clapping but we you know we, we had to bring we wanted to not only show the relationship that the truffles had with them and, the, and, and experience the dog from the truffle hunter's point of view, but we wanted to, to bring the audience into their point of view. And that's where these dog, the, the dog camp idea came from. It's like, how are we going to make the audience feel like they're, they're the dog? And so we, we lived right near a cobbler in Italy, in Alba, who was very patient with us to try to develop these, uh, these harnesses for the dogs. That would, it really took us two months to finally figure it out because the dogs have different shape heads. And also we wanted to show the nose at certain points. So 
the harnesses were a combination of leather sometimes and we had a piece of we had to work with a sheet metal person to a piece of flexible metal we had to work with rubber people and vinyl people and riveters but everybody in that town they're craftspeople so for us it was like a pleasure to go to somebody mm-hmm. and say well here's I'm drawing a picture of the you know the, the profile of the dog's head can you match something and get the ears to fit through but Greg was saying before about microphones I mean we're very conscious of sound throughout this entire process so we did have a little pack and microphones on the dog's noses separate and also they didn't want us going with them in the woods obviously so they just that was another reason why we had the cameras in the dog's heads so we could see the secret spots and see actually how they were interacting like me see Sergio going we thought it was a, a horse in the woods we had we could we never saw him in the camera find the dog turns and we're like it's him that's his language <laughs> yeah 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 we didn't do that in public you know that's uh, okay so one final question really I, I, I wanted to ask you there's a shot where one of your subjects comes out through a window mm-hmm. how did you know that that he was going to be coming through that window at that time to get to get ready to have that to have that that shot because uh, well, it, it's, it's a wonderful moment I'm not going to say anything else about it I don't want to give it away <laughs> but it's a, it's a great moment for your story well Maria it's Carlo and Maria um, we always ask Maria how come Carlos is always able to run away and you can't ever find him and um, he talked about at night that she faces the wall and he faces Tatina, where she's out, he's outside the door. And, uh, you know, we were waiting one night. Uh, we'd wait there and wait and wait and wait, and nothing happened. <laughs> and we came back another night, and we waited and waited and waited, and then uh, there was a door. I mean, to the left, there was a, we, were by the, by the, we were by the door waiting, and we heard, and it was the window. So we ran the camera over to the window, and the shot was actually crooked. We just we corrected it in post because we had to plant the tripod down so fast. And then he, because we knew Tatina was barking, and we knew he was coming through the door. We thought, and then it was, uh, you know, he came out. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. It was it was, it was really a pleasure. Uh, where can people find you? Are you on any of these socially things? Do you Instagram or <laughs> those that stuff? <laughs> it, or or, or is there a, a website, a website is, for the yeah. movie we that you like? To, we have yeah. an Instagram for truffle hunters. Yeah. We do with it. And we have, tw- we have a Twitter, but nothing's on it yet. Yeah, but we, we posted one thing about the Sundance premiere, but we will, yeah, we will be better yeah, with that. We finished the film. Like Friday. Friday. Yeah. I mean, we, just, we literally just finished the film. We were in the mix um, right up until the last moment. So, um, wow. so we're, we're a little behind on some of that stuff, but it, it, it should all be up and running soon. Gentlemen, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Thank, thank you. <laughs> this has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.